Production made possible in part by Med Plus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by physicians in training, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. Coming up on today's episode, Radio Rounds director and co-founder Dr. Lakshman Swamy sits down with Dr. Diane Meyer, the director of the Center to Advance Palliative Care, about moving towards a values and value-based system of medical care organized around meeting the unique needs of our individual patients. Well, so much of the spending in healthcare is waste. It's not only wasteful, it's harmful. That is, the things that get done are the things that are paid for. And in our system, the things that are paid for are largely not those things that the sickest, most complicated patients need, like care in the home, like transportation, like safe housing, like food, like 24-7 access to someone who can help them in the middle of the night if they have a pain crisis. Those things are not paid for, so they are not available. More from our conversation with Dr. Diane Meyer right now on Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm Dr. John Corker. Today, we hear from Radio Rounds host Lakshman Swamy as he had the chance to interview Dr. Diane Meyer at the recent Lown Institute Conference in San Diego. Diane is a practicing palliative care specialist and geriatrician at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, as well as director of the Center to Advance Palliative Care. Diane speaks to Lakshman following a keynote she delivered at the Lown Conference. She discusses what palliative care really is and how it goes far beyond the traditional concepts of hospice care. She illustrates many problems in our healthcare system that result not only in substantial waste, but also excessive and inappropriate care that results in unnecessary ED visits and hospitalizations that tarnish so many of our patients' golden years. She describes how palliative care can improve patients' lives by delivering more of their medical care at home centered around their daily lives. And now, Dr. Diane Meyer. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm Lakshman Swamy, and I'm uh, honored to be here in San Diego at the Lown Institute Conference. And, uh, you know, I just heard an amazing, very uh, inspirational talk by uh, Dr. Diane Meyer, who is a uh, practicing palliative care physician and geriatrician in New York at Mount Sinai, as well as the director for the Center to Advance Palliative Care. And uh, very fortunate to have the chance to um, feature our interview now with Diane on Radio Rounds. Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. So, you know, the, in your talk just now, you, you, it was so interesting, so many things I'd never thought of before. You know, we've talked about the importance of palliative care here on Radio Rounds before. We've talked to, you know, Ayer Bayak and some other uh, practicing palliative care physicians, and, and you know, the importance of what, explaining what palliative care is, especially to families, about the, that approach of kind of really focusing on quality of life that was really emphasized every time we've, we've discussed this topic, but there was something different in your talk today. So I think what was so interesting was the idea that palliative care is also a value proposition. Could you, could you tell us just a little bit about how you came to see that? Well, so much of the spending in healthcare is waste. It's not only wasteful, it's harmful. That is, the things that get done are the things that are paid for. 
And in our system, the things that are paid for are largely not those things that the sickest, most complicated patients need, like care in the home, like transportation, like safe housing, like food, like 24-7 access to someone who can help them in the middle of the night if they have a pain crisis. Those things are not paid for, so they are not available. So what do people do when they can't get their needs met? They call 911. And once you call 911, they have to take you. The ambulance comes. They dump you in the emergency department. The emergency department wants to get you upstairs and out of the ED as quickly as possible. Voila, a $50,000 unnecessary hospitalization. So when, conversely, you organize the system so that it does actually meet people's needs, the most complex, the most vulnerable, people with functional impairment, people with very high family caregiver burden, people with dementia, people with multiple chronic conditions like arthritis and diabetes and heart disease. You know, it's just one damn thing after another. When you organize the system in a way that is responsive to the needs of those patients, they don't need to call 911. And palliative care does precisely that. So it addresses not only the physical and emotional sources of suffering and distress that patients and families have. It very importantly places a priority on the social elements that uh, make it so difficult for people with serious and chronic illness to manage. So if, for example, you don't have a car and you have to get on three different buses to find a pharmacy that actually carries your opioid, you don't refill it because you, you, you're, it's winter, there's snow on the ground, your caregiver's exhausted, you don't refill it, so of course your pain crisis happens. Then what do you do? You call 911. So these just the basic deficits in social support infrastructure, not to mention expertise in the management of pain and other symptoms, not to mention recognition that the linchpin of the whole system is the family caregiver. So if you're not addressing the needs and the supports of the family caregiver, you're talking to yourself. Um, those are why we waste so much money. And what palliative care does is say, hey, wait a minute. You know, let's talk to the patient family, find out what's most important to them. Nine times out of ten, they want to stay home and they want to remain independent. And then let's organize this health care system to help them achieve that goal. Now, Diane, I, so as a, as a training internist right now, I'm uh, taking care of a lot of these patients, right? And uh, they come up from the ED. They're, they're, this is a medicine patient, right? And uh, I'm taking care of them, and, I, you know, I'm, I feel like I don't really quite understand the, the need for what you're saying in that. I'm already, I'm already signing that blue sheet of paper that's getting them home services on discharge. So why is this different than what we're doing when we discharge patients? Well, a lot of us clinicians have not been properly trained in the limitations of various Medicare and Medicaid benefits that, that our patients are discharged with. So we think that they're covering things that they're not actually covering. So one thing I think it took me and many other people a long time to realize is that we, when we discharge a Medicare beneficiary with home care, we think, oh, good, they'll be getting care at home. They won't come back to the ED next week. But what we don't realize is that Medicare home care is heavily restricted by law to people with a, quote, skilled need, meaning they need wound care or they need an IV medicine or they need to be taught to administer insulin um, and who are homebound, meaning they cannot leave their home. 
the vast majority of people who need care at home don't have a skilled need. Or if they do, that skilled need is very brief. And what happens is once that skilled need is over, the wound care has been taught to the family caregiver, the family caregiver has learned how to give the insulin, the IV antibiotics are done, they are discharged from home care. And then surprise, they're back in our ED and back on our medicine ward three weeks later. And we think to ourselves, how did that happen? I sent them home on home care. Right. Um, and that's the problem, is that Medicare is designed to be short-term. It's not designed to provide long-term care yet for this group of patients with multiple chronic conditions, functional impairment, cognitive impairment, exhausted family caregivers. They need long-term services and supports. Right. Medicare doesn't pay for it. Now, now these, these patients get, they get discharged with home care. We think we've got a great plan in place. It all falls apart, as you said. We see that. But what's interesting, I think, is that we don't necessarily see it with our own patients because uh, as residents, we rotate off the service. They come back a little while later. Uh, you know, it's not the next day they're coming back. And so it's a different team, and the whole thing happens all over again. And it seems to me like one of the big problems here is that no one is seeing the big picture. No one is seeing the big picture of this patient. Now, I know in your talk just a, a little while ago, you told us about some cases where they were able to see the big picture. Yeah, so... The way the current system works, and this has gotten worse with the hospitalist movement, is that even if the patient is lucky enough to have a primary care physician, that primary care physician is usually completely out of the loop, right? The, the, if the patient calls the primary care physician and it's after hours, they get a tape that says, if this is a medical emergency, hang up now and call 911. Sure. Then the patient goes to the ED and into the hospital. If the primary care is even notified... That would be unusual. And the person delivering the primary care in the hospital is a hospitalist who rotates one to two weeks on, one to two weeks off, never has seen the patient before, will never see them again, and may or may not even pick up the phone to call the primary care provider. So no one's in charge. Right. There's no quarterback. And that is a huge reason for all the unnecessary hospitalization because nobody's home. But even going beyond that, even outside of a doctor's memory, there's the you know institutional problem of they, people go to different hospitals. The ambulance takes them to a different place each time sometimes. But um, you know, I know you were talking about a study that came out a little while ago from um, right here in California, I think, uh, with, the, with the Kaiser Group uh, talking about looking at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me a little bit about how when you can see the whole picture, right. things can change? So the Kaiser system and the VA system in the United States are both globally budgeted. And in both systems, the administration can see where the spending is occurring by silo. Is it in the hospital? Is it in the nursing home, the doctor's office? the home, and they can see what impact a specific intervention has on all the other sites of care. That makes sense, right? So Kaiser did a randomized controlled clinical trial that randomly assigned Medicare beneficiaries with cancer, heart failure, or COPD to get usual Medicare home care, which we just described mm -hmm. as being very time limited, or palliative home care, which was not time limited, um, and was you know, basically available, there was at least 24-7 telephone access available forever. Sure. Um, and what they found was a marked increase in the number of home visits that occurred in the palliative home care group, a tripling in the number of home visits. Some of those home visits were physicians, some nurses, some social workers, um, but a lot more home care. Now that and sounds you would, like a, a big cost, you, you would think, oh, my God, who's going to pay for that? 
um, but because it was Kaiser, they could see what happened in all the other care settings, which was a plummeting in the need for specialist visits, in the need for hospitalization, in emergency department visits, in ICU utilization, and in institutional rehab nursing home. And the return on investment was four to one. So, you know, Kaiser and the VA both fully support home-based palliative care. They call it home-based primary care, but it actually is home-based palliative care because all the patients are palliative care eligible and palliative care needing because there is both a quality and a very strong business case for it. Unfortunately, in the rest of the healthcare system, which is still predominantly fee-for-service driven, each silo is trying to maximize its income. So a hospital makes more money with more admissions. Um, all, all the sites of utilization do better with more utilization. Um, and until we move away from that um, and recognize that if you meet people's needs in the home, A, it's what they want. People want to stay home. They want to be independent. They don't want to go into our hospitals. They don't want to go into our nursing homes. But we give them no choice. But if we meet people's needs in the home, it's much better quality. And because it's better quality, they stop over-utilizing settings that are actually going to do them more harm than good. And certainly as, you know, as a physician in training myself, I would want that for my family. I, I know, I, and I think most people would. Yeah, I mean, if you have any older relatives, grandparents, um, ask them what's most important to them. You, I, you know, I have yet to have a patient say to me, I want to live forever. Yet the healthcare system is designed as if that's what everyone wants. What everyone wants is an acceptable quality of life and as much independence as possible. And people are smart, and they see what happens to their friends and relatives when they come out of a hospital or come out of a nursing home. They're never the same after that. Um, people are terrified of going to hospitals and nursing homes, and I have to say with good reason. Uh, you know, I, I think that's something that we see every day on the wards. And it, so it sounds like we, we've kind of talked about how there's a clear problem. There's a, there's a solution, too. I think that this, is, this could be called a solution where not only are patients going to be more satisfied, happier, healthier, um, but costs are going to go down. I think what's, what's fascinating about having this discussion here um, in sunny San Diego at the, at the Lana Institute's conference is that it's, it's not about coming up with new solutions as much as it's what's, what's the gap there? How yeah. do we get to that state? Yeah. So uh, the point you're making is very important. It's not that we don't know what to do. We do know what to do. The problem is implementation um, and implementation at scale. Mm -hmm. So in many parts of the country, there are bright lights um, where people are delivering community-based and home-based palliative care in nursing homes, assisted living, home care, doctor's offices, cancer centers, but they are spotty. They're not standardized. They're not scaled so that all people who could benefit from this treatment can rely on getting it. The only way to get there, to get this to scale, is to change some of the requirements right, the accreditation requirements, the Joint Commission accreditation requirements, to say, for example, if you're a hospital or an ACO, you, we will not accredit you if you are not delivering cross-continuum palliative care that meets certain quality standards. We don't have those requirements yet. Um, we need to change the certification and board certification requirements for physicians. Right now, we are still graduating doctors from medical school, residents from residency, who do not know how to conduct a conversation about goals of care, who do not know how to switch from morphine to dilaudid, 
who do not understand that hydromorphone is five times as potent as morphine milligram for milligram, who do not know how to go to short, from short-acting to long-acting opioids, who do not know how to manage and prevent side effects from opioids. I mean, think about it. If you were a patient, you'd be shocked and appalled to know that your doctor does not know how to do either of those basic core competencies. Why? Because neither medical school nor residency accreditation or licensing requirements require it. We've got to change those. That's how you make system change. But it sounds like you're not saying we need more and more palliative care doctors everywhere, although I think that would be a benefit. It sounds like you're saying this is a role for all physicians. You're exactly right. Um, First of all, even if we were to quintuple the number of palliative care specialists, medicine, nursing, et cetera, we would not even begin to have enough people to meet the needs of the growing aging population in this country and globally. Um, And quite obviously, most of the palliative care needs can and should be met by primary docs, whether an internist or a family practitioner or a pediatrician or an oncologist or a cardiologist. Everyone should have these basic skills. Everyone who touches people with serious illness should know how to with expertise and skill, manage pain and other symptoms. With expertise and skill and demonstrated competency, conduct a challenging conversation about what matters most to this patient and family in the context of what is happening to them medically now. It, to me, it remains appalling and shocking that we don't require such competencies um, in people who are about to be unleashed on the unsuspecting public. Well, you know, I really appreciate your time, Diane. This has been an enlightening conversation for me, certainly, to to understand that palliative care, as we, you know, as I mentioned, we've talked about it so much before, and it's so in tune with the missions of, of our radio program about compassion, humanism, getting to the patient where the patient is, but really that there's so much more to it in that it not only provides so many benefits for the patient, but it's such a relief for the system too, you know, reducing those ED visits, hospitalizations, ICU stays, hospital-acquired infections, all of that. And that number four to one is just still staggering to me. I'm very happy that you thought to ask me to do this interview because the most important audience for me and the palliative care field to reach is your audience. That is the people who are coming up in the system who will be delivering my care when I'm old and need it. And the key to the social change that is needed is to focus on a positive vision of the good. That is, if your generation can see the way it should be and knows what the goal is, knows, keeps the eyes on the prize, we'll get there. But if you don't have a clear concept of what high quality is and what we need to do, all we're doing is admiring the problem and wringing our hands. We have to have a clear vision of where we want to go first. And then that's how we collectively can move towards it. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you. That was Radio Round's Lakshman Swami with Dr. Diane Meyer, Director of the Center to Advance Palliative Care. To learn more about the center and to get involved, please visit www.capc.org. In addition, the Lown Institute is dedicated to transforming healthcare systems and improving the health of our communities. They focus on the concept of, quote, right care, end quote, in an era where both impaired access to care and overtreatment are equally destructive issues at play and caring for us at the end of life. Check them out at http colon forward slash forward slash launinstitute.org. Join us in the coming weeks for more from Luxman 
at the recent Loud Institute conference in San Diego. In the meantime, remember that you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit www.radiorounds.org. You can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All of that information at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, sponsored by the American Medical Association, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. AMA Insurance is pleased to introduce an individual disability insurance plan called Essentials for MedPlus Advantage participants. Through this plan, eligible graduating medical students have a special one-time opportunity to apply for high-quality individual disability insurance with no intrusive or time-consuming medical exams and only a few basic questions, and with discounted premiums. Apply now as the enrollment period ends soon. Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone, and have a great week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm John Corker, and one day, I'll be your doctor.